Welcome to the MFP Live podcast. I'm producer Courtney Monk here. On this episode of MFP Live, publisher Kimberly Griffin and editor Donna Ladd speak with Tyree Jones, the newly elected Hines County Sheriff of Mississippi. They discuss his plans to build transparency and community trust within Hines County, as well as preventive measures he would like to use to help curb crime in Jackson and Hines County. They also discuss his plans to improve the conditions of the Hines County Detention Center. Sheriff Jones is a Jackson native who attended Tougaloo College. He served as a Jackson police officer for 20 years, working his way from patrol officer to commander. He became a captain in the Criminal Investigations Division of the Hines County Sheriff's Office in 2019. After Sheriff Lee Vance died of COVID, Jones won the position. Here's Donna. We're kicking off the 2022 season in style. Our guest tonight is the newly elected and installed, I guess, <laughs> Sheriff of Hines County, Tyree Jones. Hello, Sheriff. Thank you. Good for evening. Good evening, ladies. How are you all doing? We're good. We're good. And you're definitely kind of, you're in costume, in, in uniform. I love it. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right, Full so, official uniform. That's right. So nobody's going to forget. And we were talking a little bit beforehand, and you grew up in Jackson known you as an editor of the Jackson Free Press previously, where I used to be for 20 years in different roles. But one thing I will say up front is that one of my memories of you has always been that you respond really well to media. And so I really, and you can't say that about everybody. So I'm really, I'm really happy about that. But I want you to tell us some more just about yourself. I mean, I think you reached commander in the Jackson Police Department, so you've all you've been on the police side as well as the sheriff's side. But tell us about Jackson and what part of town you grew up in and whatever you want us to know about that. Well, um, first of all, thank you all for allowing me this opportunity to take part in your, your platform this evening, you know, being able to share with the people here in the city of Jackson, Hines County and surrounding areas. And I always, you know, look forward to connecting with the media. You stated that I was always responsive when it came to interacting with the media. And I find that to be very beneficial from a law enforcement professional perspective, because, of course, the media can help us and can also connect us to the community in many different ways. So, again, thank you all for this opportunity. But as you stated, yes, I am a um, I'm a lifelong citizen here in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Hines County. I was uh, born and raised here. I was raised in the Presidential Hills area in Northwest Jackson. I attended St. Joseph Catholic High School, and I graduated from there in 1996. From there, I went on to study at Tougaloo College. For a few years and after Tougaloo College, I went to the Jackson Police Department. I started my hiring process when I was 21 years old. Uh, it was to fulfill a lifelong dream of mine to serve my community and to be a police officer where I considered home, which was Jackson, Mississippi. So I graduated from the Jackson Police Department at the age of 22. I worked in various uh, roles uh, while I was with the Jackson Police Department. Uh, I worked my way from, of course, a police recruit all the way to the rank of commander prior to my departure 
of the Jackson Police Department after 20 years of service. Well, during my tenure there, of course, I spent a lot of time in the Violent Crimes Division. I spent about 14 or 15 of those years investigating violent crimes in the city of Jackson, uh, where I later became the sergeant of the division and later became the commander of the division as well. And I was the public information officer for the department under the leadership of the late uh, Lee Vance as well. So that's pretty much my history with the Jackson Police Department. I definitely enjoyed my time there. I believe that anyone in law enforcement today, if you have an opportunity to be able to work for an agency such as the Jackson Police Department, you will work alongside some of the finest men and women in our area. Not only that, you will be able to receive some experience and training that you will not be afforded. My success, I credit the relationships that I've built to the Jackson Police Department because, of course, that's where I started. So after the late Sheriff Lee Vance was elected into office, I departed the Jackson Police Department and I joined the Hines County Sheriff's Office uh, as a captain of the Criminal Investigations Division. Uh, and I was also the spokesperson for the Hines County Sheriff's Office as well. And as you all know, due to the untimely death of our great leader and our friend, the late Sheriff Lee Vance, I stepped into the role of changing what I would consider a shift in my career, and that is to go into office, be a candidate for the next highest county sheriff. And as you all know, I was joined by about 12 other candidates that I would consider to be professionals and that I consider to be qualified candidates as well. And as a result, the people of Hines County saw my vision, my platform, and where I wanted to take Hines County forward. And I was elected as the next Hines County Sheriff. So this is where I am right now. It is definitely an honor and a pleasure to serve in this role, in this capacity serving our citizens of Hines County, connecting with the public and the community, formulating relationships with them as well to make Hines County a safer and better place. Well, Donna talks about being responsive to press inquiries. Well, I'm on the business side. I was on the business side of the Jackson Free Press. And so publishers, uh, we're, we're all about money, raising money, getting advertisers. So I have a trick that I want to tell you about for your next campaign. Okay. I can tell you who's going to be in the runoff by their staff that calls me back, if their staff will call me back. And sometimes their staff calls me back and they say, no, I don't want to buy any ads, but they call me back. So, <laughs> and I didn't know that much about you, but I said, that Jones guy, they're going to make the runoff because they called <laughs> me back. <laughs> that means you get stuff done. Like you, you, you know, because one of the things good leaders do is they hire the right people. Right. So, right. Yeah, so I'm a Jackson native, you're a Jackson native, um, and I just want to get straight to the point. I have a couple of questions because it's kind of like circuit judges and chancery judges. I don't ever know what they do. Can you talk to us a little bit about, A, what the Hines County Sheriff's Office does or what are their areas of responsibility as opposed to the city of Jackson or any of the city police forces 
that are also in the same jurisdiction. And then I have a follow-up after you tell us a little bit about that, because I don't think we all are completely clear about who does what when. So the office of the sheriff, the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer for all of Hines County. The sheriff is responsible for not only law enforcement, but our main objective and priority is detention services. We are the chief jailing system and detention facilities for all of Hines County. So the sheriff would also be considered the chief jailer for Hines County as well. So we are responsible first and foremost for housing all detainees within Hines County. That includes not only detainees arrested by the Hines County Sheriff's Office, that is detainees arrested by the Jackson Police Department, the Bolton Police Department, Utica, Terry, Byram, Clinton, any law enforcement agency within Hines County, we are responsible for jailing the detainees after their arrest. And we are responsible for housing these individuals as well. We are responsible for transporting them uh, back and forth to court appearances, court hearings as well. Well, we are also responsible for, we have primary jurisdiction over the Chancery Court building, as well as the Circuit Court building and the Raymond Courthouse, which is located in Raymond. So we are also responsible for the safety and security of all of the courthouses within Hines County. And the law enforcement, or what we consider the operation side of the Hines County Sheriff's Office, we are responsible for all 874 square miles of Hines County. We have jurisdiction in all of Hines County from a law enforcement perspective as well. Well, we are primarily responsible for areas within Hines County, what we would consider the rural areas, the unincorporated areas of Hines County. So, whereas you may have, and I just use this as an example, you may have a Terry, Mississippi that falls in Hines County, where you have a city of Terry police department that's primarily responsible for answering calls for service within the city. Well, you also have the county of Terry as well, whereas we are primarily responsible for answering calls for service and law enforcement activities in that particular area. So this stretches throughout all of Hines County. So you have the same thing in Utica, you have it in Bolton, you have it in Clinton, you have it in Edwards, you have it in Learned, Mississippi as well. So from a law enforcement perspective, that falls under what we consider our operations division. We should be really consider two different divisions. You have detention services and you have operations. Law enforcement certified officers, some of our courthouse security officers, some of our bailiffs, they all fall within the operations division. You also have civil processing. We are responsible for serving civil papers that are filed by attorneys. So these are just some of the day-to-day operations of the Hines County Sheriff's Office. But again, our main priority is being the chief jailing system for all of Hines County as a whole. Thank and, you. That's helpful. Right. And to answer your question specifically about the Jackson Police Department, 
you know, the Jackson Police Department has primary jurisdiction in all of the city of Jackson, whereas we still have uh, jurisdiction there as well. But if you pick up a telephone in the city of Jackson and you call 911, you're going to get a city of Jackson operator unless the call rolls over to the Hines County Sheriff's Office. So whereas we are in the city, we are pretty much a support division for the city of Jackson. And that includes the other municipalities within Hines County as well. Whereas we work alongside them, we support them on calls, we bag them up on calls, but that does not necessarily mean that we are exempt from answering a call for service primarily in these divisions as well if they are unavailable or they don't have officers that are available to respond to the calls as well. Okay, that's helpful because I, a lot of times I think, you know, I have a friend of mine in another state, it was Louisiana, told me she was running for chancery judge and I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about. So we talked about the primary law enforcement enforcement being on the, I mean, on the Jackson Police Department. So that's not going to have. Um, so uh, with that understanding, we know crime is up in the capital city. And let me be the first to say that I'm not one of these people that goes around screaming about crime in a city every time there's you're going to have city crime in a place where there are as uh, a number of different socioeconomic groups in any city, in the capital city, there will be crime. Um, so I'm not one of those people screaming about that. But we know those numbers are on the increase. And we will see that in a lot of U.S. cities, particularly with the pandemic. It's kind of happening all over the place. What are some ways that, with understanding that this is not your primary area of jurisdiction, that you're not the primary law enforcement, you're a, a support system. What are some ways that you can or are able to address some of these issues? Okay, so let's back up to where we you initially started talking about crime was up. You know, you're absolutely right. Crime is up in the city of Jackson. Violent crime is up nationwide as well, okay? So you have violent crimes up about 30% nationwide, and these are gun crimes. Not only that, another thing that you have is another major component that should be considered but is absent as well is the lack of police personnel nationwide as well. So that comes right back, and it affects us right here in Hines County and in the city of Jackson as well. So. As I've always stated, and my forever role will be, as long as I'm the sheriff of Hines County, I can't ignore the issue that the city of Jackson is currently plagued with as it relates to violent crimes. I still have an obligation and a duty to be able to address the crimes in the city of Jackson, the violent crimes as well. So how do you do that? First of all, you have to have a working relationship with the Jackson Police Department, which has already been established. You know, I tell people all the time, even though I'm no longer with the Jackson Police Department, I still feel like I am a part of the Jackson Police Department due to the professional relationships that I developed when I was there. And I was able to bring those same relationships with me to the Hines County Sheriff's Office to be able to support them and depend on their support and expertise where needed as well. So you have to be able to have that working relationship with them. You have to have 
partnerships, you have to be able to build partnerships and relationships with other agencies to include local, federal, and state law enforcement agencies that have jurisdiction in the city of Jackson as well. This is an ongoing effort that we have already initiated. I have assigned deputies and investigators to various roles in task forces here that will be specifically addressing the violent crime issues that we have in the city of Jackson as well. So I look forward to continuing to build those partnerships and those relationships in an effort to address the issues that we're played with, you know. And another thing that's very important that we must consider in today's policing, I can't stress how important it is to have the community alongside you as well. You know, while we speak of, speaking of the men and women that are on the front lines fighting crime, you know, daily, and how much we're thankful for their service, we want to extend that same gratitude to our citizens and to the community as well, because we need and we have to be able to have a working relationship and a network with the community. We want the community to trust us as a law enforcement body, and we want to be able to trust the community as well. You know, the community, the people that are in the community, they know who these perpetrators are. They know who the individuals are that are out committing the violent crimes and other crimes in our city and in our county. So by having a relationship and continuing on a daily basis to bridge the gap between law enforcement and our community, that brings other stakeholders into your crime fighting efforts. So you have everybody on board. You have what I would consider transparency with the community as well. I can't stress how important it is to always be upfront with the community, tell the people the truth about what's going on in our communities, and being able to have them establish a trust within you that you are addressing everything and you are exhausting all efforts that you have available to address the issues that we're played with in our communities today. So the citizens of Jackson, the citizens of Hines County are very important and they are equally important from a law enforcement perspective in the fight on crime in our communities today. Sheriff, you may know that I've done a lot of reporting on criminal justice and policing over the years and can have some strong opinions, but that's that's not exactly why what I'm here to talk about. How can I frame this? It's like we had we had someone ask a question that's kind of similar to what Kimberly asked you. Uh, notice the same last name, but you know, I, I find it very <laughs> may or may not be. Related. It's a sibling, my yeah, yeah. I did not um, see his question. <laughs> but what I think is interesting about his question is the last sentence, and so I think I kind of what if anything can be done on the law enforcement side to help reduce it. That's the part I want to talk to you about a little bit more because you know I always struggle with the community's kind of cyclical insistence that it's up to law enforcement to prevent violent crime, right? Because so much of it happens between people who know each other or, you know, as 
you guys will remind us constantly or the mayor will say or or the researchers will say you know and it's and it's usually among a small percentage of people who are in certain circumstances right in many cases so what i find interesting about greg's question here um, is what if anything can be done on the law enforcement side so i'd like you to dig in a little deeper to that kind of beyond the typical platitudes we hear you know uh, uh, just in general from law enforcement being yelled at because they're not protecting the communities well enough i mean what so what i would i would change greg's question into a little bit is what can law enforcement do and honestly what can law enforcement not do to prevent particularly violent crime and homicides which is what people are really talking about okay so from a law enforcement perspective the issues you're absolutely right that we're plagued with especially when it comes to the violent crimes these are individuals that the majority of the time they know one another okay there's some type of feud or some type of beef between these individuals and our communities and a lot of time law enforcement is unaware of whatever these issues are that they're beefing about or that they're feuding about okay so we get the call after the violence has been committed. We are responsible for responding to the call. We are responsible for investigating the call and attempting to identify and locate individuals that are responsible for it. For when we talk about what can we do to prevent it, prevention does not just include law enforcement as a whole. Prevention can also include, like I stated earlier, the community being able to trust law enforcement to uh, report things that are happening in the community, report things that are occurring before it gets to the point where guns are involved, people are injured, or people lose their lives. Another component of that is the criminal justice system as a whole. That plays a major role in it. Whereas law enforcement is just a component of the criminal justice system, we have to be able to find a way to hold these individuals that are committing these crimes accountable once they are arrested and once they begin to navigate their way through the criminal justice system. So this includes prosecution, this includes judges and other people that are part of the criminal justice system. So what, you, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, you know, when I was with the Jackson Police Department, you know, it, it's no secret when we investigated some, some homicides or we investigated violent crimes, we would get out and we would work our butts off, okay? And we would locate the individuals that were responsible for the crimes. We would arrest them. We would put them in jail. Well, the disappointing part of that comes when these individuals are given a bond or they are giving a low bond and be able to bond out of jail and be right back out in our streets and in our communities. And there was a large percentage of time where not holding them accountable on the front end leads to more criminal activity from these same individuals because they're 
not being held accountable. They don't feel like they're going to be held accountable. And they're still going to be out in our communities committing crimes, whatever the crime was to get them arrested from the beginning and other crimes as well. So from a law enforcement perspective, we have to include all aspects and all areas of the criminal justice system, holding people accountable for the crimes that they commit. That's very important. I believe that we, the people as a whole, if we see people being held accountable from the time that they're arrested to the time that they navigate their way through the criminal justice system, this sends a message to the people. This sends a message to the other perpetrators that are out in our communities that you will be held accountable from the time that you are arrested to the time that you are successfully prosecuted as well. So this is just one component of what law enforcement can do. So the other component of that is, you know, we talk about jails, we talk about, you know, putting people in jail. I still believe that law enforcement has a role to play in the community as well as it relates to what can we do to educate our people to not go to jail or not become a part of the criminal justice system as well. So I believe we have an equal responsibility to be able to outreach the citizens and the community to be able to educate them on things not to do, uh, be able to see what the precursors, what I call, and the ingredients are that could lead to violent crimes. Whereas holding them accountable for some of the smaller crimes that they commit, which could later lead them into graduating to more violent crimes. So we talk about policing some of the smaller things. We talk about getting out in the community and working. We talk about policing the burglaries, the thefts, the auto burglaries, what we would consider nonviolent crimes. Well, if we get out, police those, hold those individuals accountable as well, this can prevent them from graduating into more violent crimes. And I say that specifically because that is a trend that we are currently seeing with our young people, and especially our young men, our young black men in the community that have been committing the violent crimes in our communities. You know, I spoke to some people, I think about last week, a week before last, and we talked about somewhere along the way, somebody missed the mark. These young men, young black men, didn't just wake up and decide that I'm going to go out and commit a violent crime today. There was something else that they did or that they played a role in before leading them to violent crimes. So they weren't held accountable for it. The mark was missed. So that's a what I would consider maybe a wasted opportunity to be able to prevent these young men from being out in our communities committing the violent crimes as well. Sheriff, you said so much there that we could ask you about. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm glad you said there is you use the word precursors, right? And and that's kind of the 
point I'm kind of ultimately getting at is that, you know, I've been writing or watching what's happened in the, in the Jackson crime conversation now for over 20 years. And every chief ends up being blamed and every mayor ends up being blamed. And so I'm not arguing against, you know, the, the need for accountability at all, because, you know, obviously accountability is an important thing. But we both know that people are arrested and put into jail and, and put into prison who are fine with that. You know, that and in some cases, those conditions are better than what they're living in already. Uh, it, you know, as far as the number of meals, I'm not saying good conditions, but that it's p- kind of part of the culture, right? And so you mentioned precursors, and you know, there was a study of Jackson crime done a few years back that we talk about. In a, we ju- I don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet, but we've just introduced a new project in uh, what that is focusing on Jackson and Hines County crime reasons for crime, right? That go back up, you know, instead of. I mean, instead of just looking at, well, why did those kids go out that night and carjack, which is important too, and y'all are out there investigating that, right? Right. Um, But kind of our argument is that the rest of us could really get involved in this, looking at going back up the pipeline and figure out the causes and the disparities and the situations, the precursors, as you said, that cause young people to get in trouble, to get into cycles of hopelessness, you know, to to end up either the victim of violent crime, which I don't think we talk about nearly enough with with young black men in our community, is how how many of them are victims of, of violent crime. And so that's the kind of work that we're trying to do. And I did want to say that one of the precursors that the study back in 2016 pointed out, which is, you know, is that rough interactions with the police as minors is one of the top precursors for whether or not they're likely to get involved in more violent crime. And so, you know, accountability, not everybody looks at police accountability, you know, accountability and, uh, and what the police should be doing in the same way, right? And so that's one of the, the things I wanted to, to talk about was, I guess I wanted you to address how you think the police, not just, you know, making people happy by making a lot of arrests, you know, and putting people in jail. And I want to talk about the jails before we're done, but putting people in jail. Yeah, I know. You know, we can get to jails, but, but what can police do different? What can law enforcement do different? What about dealing with mental health crises? And some of the situations that happen with that, what about rough treatment? And we know we have a history of it, as all cities do, rough treatment of young people who are, you know, getting in trouble as minors by police officers. I mean, I'm just going to be very frank. I'm going to write about this soon and I'm not going to use a name or anything right now. But, you know, I've just watched the news and one of the young people that I worked with in a youth media project that we had is has been arrested for a very serious crime and that young person was first taken and put in the in the detention center and treated very poorly by police officers when he was in the third grade when he and some other kids tried to break into an elementary school and then he has other you know i got to know him very well and so you can almost see through that young person's history 
And what this, this study had said is that he's more likely later to commit violent crime if there isn't some sort of interventions and some sort of system of interventions. Like, you know, after he worked with us, he was back on the streets, right? And I've, I've been watching, and I'm very upset about it, but I've been watching for several years now to see him on the news. And now I've seen him on the news and it's devastating. But so <laughs> I've got to give it a big talk here. But my question to you is in this, and then you could say anything else you want to say about it, obviously. But what 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 do police need to do differently to help ensure that the people they're having encounters with, especially minors, are not going to be damaged by those experiences and get into this cycle in some way or another? Right. So what is the, you know, what are your feelings on that? What could be different? You know, that's a very good question. You know, and I'm, I'm going to start when I discuss this. Let's talk about the mother that's in a that's in a Walgreens store or Walmart store with a child, the little child that's acting up and being a child. OK, so what's the first thing that they say when they see a police officer? I'm going to make that officer get you. I'm going to make that officer put you in jail. This boils my blood to see this, okay? So yep. what have you done at that particular point to this child? You have already started damaging this child's thought about interactions with police. And I'm talking about a child five, six, seven, eight years old. You've already put a negative aspect of police in this child's head because what are we supposed to do, especially when we see children their age? We're supposed to interact with them. That's the point where we start building relationships with them that they can trust us, okay? That we are on their side, that we are there to help them, okay? But when you have parents and you have what I would consider grown consenting adults, tell a child that you're gonna make the police put them in jail, you've damaged that child. You started damaging that child at that particular point. So imagine how this happens and as this child navigates his or her way through life, they're gonna forever remember that because to me, that scars a child when you do that to them, okay? So their interactions with police that initial encounter is going to be somewhat of a defensive one, especially if they feel like they haven't done anything wrong or they go back and remember what, what happened to put them in this particular mindset as well. So this is just one component that's very important when it comes to the trust between law enforcement and our young people. Well, we always talk about it takes a village to raise a child. Whereas police, no, we're not necessarily responsible for raising children, but at the same time, police can also play a role in that village that other adults have established to raise a child. You know, we are out for community outreach as well we want to instill in the young people that it's okay to trust the police 
you know, but we will also hold you accountable if you're wrong or if you commit a crime in the community as well. I tell people all the time when it comes to our interactions with our young people, you will never know. You can have one interaction with a young person, okay? That one life that you change or that one life that you save at that particular point, you could probably save a lot of more lives and prevent a lot of more crimes by interjecting and making sure that this child, this young person does not get led astray or does not get into the realm of committing crimes. So imagine if law enforcement is out doing this as a whole, okay? Reaching the young people, changing lives, saving lives, then we are able to prevent some of the things that are happening in our community. And I stress that because I believe that that is a very important key as it relates to being able to stop some of the violence, some of the violent crimes that we're currently plagued with. Do we miss the mark sometimes as law enforcement officials? Yes, we do. It's no different than a grown consenting adult missing the mark with their own child as well, right? So our role as it relates to being able to reach the people should be equally responsible as it would be putting them in jail. We want to prevent putting people in jail, especially when it comes to our young people. Whatever measurements or precautions we can take to prevent that from happening, we should do it, you know. Uh, Donna, you know, uh, when, we, when we talk about putting people in jail, you know, some people deserve to go to jail, okay? Don't get me wrong, but some people, especially when it comes to our younger people, jail is not always the key to changing their lives or holding them accountable. There are other ways that you can do it as well instead of putting them in jail and putting them in a system that could possibly, like you say, lead them astray or get them more involved in more violent crimes. When we talk about, you talk about mental health as well. So let's talk specifically about mental health because <laughs> mental health and law enforcement today is just as important as <laughs> I tell people going down a range and firing your weapon qualifying with a target. Mental health is just, mental health training is just as important as any other aspect of a law enforcement curriculum today. I wish that we as a whole, law enforcement has been in law enforcement for several years. I wish that I had been afforded some of the mental health training years ago that's afforded to law enforcement today. So that goes to show how the times have changed as it relates to mental health training in law enforcement, especially mental health training when it comes to our young people. I believe that it would have changed some decisions that I made based on encounters that I had with people 20, 
21, 22 years ago when I first got into law enforcement. But because those things were not afforded back then as they are today, I hold myself accountable for making sure that my people are trained uh, with mental health guidance because that is very important based on encounters that we have. You know, everybody does not deserve or does not need to go to jail. Some people are sick and some people need to go and get help, okay? And with the training that we are afforded in law enforcement today, we are able to identify some of the aspects or some of the things that these people are, that they, that I guess possess during our encounters with them, which means we're able to identify, hey, this person is possibly suffering from some type of mental health issue. I need to call in the correct experts to deal with this individual. I need to be able to take this individual or get him transported to a local medical facility for help because they're suffering from some type of mental illness. But now, don't get me wrong, we can never confuse mental illness all the time with criminal activity at the same time because we can't allow people that are suffering from mental illness on the front end to be, be able to use that as an excuse for committing a crime as well, whereas we may not hold them responsible or accountable because they suffer from a mental illness, okay? So there's a fine line between the two. But again, with the training that law enforcement is afforded today, I believe that that makes a major difference in our encounters with people in our communities that we see or that we have contact with that are suffering from mental illness or mental health issues. Um, you make some interesting points. Don and I worked on something called the Chick Ballroom when we were at the Jackson Free Press. And one of those, that was an effort to help combat uh, domestic violence and the effects of domestic violence. And uh, one of the things I've learned in trainings and things I've done is that judges thought they were doing the right thing by take, sending uh, abusers to anger management courses, but abusers aren't angry. We know people who are angry, they can't keep a job, they're always in a fight. There's always some other issue going on, but that rarely happens with abusers. They're usually targeting, the, the anger is targeted towards one person. So we helped fund a program one year that was that training was particularly focused on helping abusers not reoffend, and that was pretty successful. And I said all that to say is I think it sounds like you got that your team that and you have good ideas about programs and trainings and things in the community that should happen. What specifically do you have on tap that's about connecting with the community? What programs, what trainings for your officers, what programs with the community, what, what, do you, what are you looking to do during your tenure that will change the relationship with the community and, as you talked about, help curve violence? Well, you have to have a desire to be able to get into these communities, okay? To connect 
with the people in the communities and establish a relationship with them. And you do that by being accessible to the people, letting the people know that you are accessible, that you are here to help them, and that you are ready to actively engage them in whatever issues they're dealing with in the community. And you do this by simply doing one thing, and that's communicating. Where you have communication with the community, you're able to solve problems. You're able to prevent potential problems. Whereas you lack communication, you are not able to make a difference. You're not able to do anything. So it's my goal during my tenure as a Hines County Sheriff to establish programs, not only establish programs from the Hines County Sheriff's Office, but work collaboratively with other programs that have already been established, become a stakeholder with these programs that have already been established and let the people know we want to be a part of your team. We want to be able to offer whatever guidance and whatever expertise that we can do to make your team successful. Whereas you have a successful community team, you have a successful law enforcement and community team working together to make a difference. So not only that, and when we talk about training, you want to see what type of training is out there that's able and that is afforded to the men and women of your department. You want to make sure that they are properly trained. You have to uh, keep uh, active with current trends in law enforcement as well, whereas things are forever evolving in law enforcement. More things are identified, whereas when the things are identified, what comes behind the identification of issues or problems, you have training that becomes available. So you want to be able to train and have training available for your men and women so that they can take that training out into the community as well. With my department right now, we have an ongoing relationship for mental health training with Heinz Behavior Health. And I really cherish the relationship that we have with them because they're able to train our people and they're able to offer insight as it relates to mental health issues in the community as well. So these are the type of relationships and partnerships that you have to take part in in the community. Uh, you want to be able, you know, we tell people all the time, how else do you reach a community? You go through your churches, you go through your schools. You know, I had a recent conversation just last week with Dr. Green with the Jackson public school system. He and I talked and we talked about building relationships between the Hines County Sheriff's Office and the Jackson Public Schools. So these are just outreach programs and ways of connecting because moments ago we talked about being able to reach our young people, right? Where you reach your young people through the schools, through your churches, and whatever uh, other platforms that are available in the community that our young people take part in as well. 
Sheriff, I wish we had two hours because there's so much we could talk about. We're, we're going to have to have you back, and I really hope you will come back. I will. Um, and, uh, and the only thing I want to say to what you just said, you're absolutely right. And we put a report on, of course you're right, but about, you know, that with young people needing opportunities and the young people who are the most likely to get in trouble, not just the good young people, right? And but we have to have a system because if they finish one program and they don't have anywhere else to go, then they may, may end up in a perp walk some years later, you know. But I, I don't want to get out of here today without talking to you, getting you to talk a little bit about the jail. You made the point earlier that one of your main jobs is to be the head jailer. Uh, you know, I think that's the phrase you used. And I think a lot of people in the community don't always understand that in some ways, you know that that's uh, what the sheriff does. And then another thing I think that we run into a lot is kind of the, you know, the use of jail and prison interchangeably so that people don't always understand the difference between a jail and a prison and that jails are, at least for the most part, I know there's some exceptions to this, but jails are where people go to await trial, right? And right. so for what they're in for, they're not guilty of those crimes until they're proven guilty of those crimes. And so that gets us to the question of pretrial detention. And you may have seen that Coyote Crown has been doing a lot of work on pretrial detention and the conditions in the jails and the youth detention center, et cetera. So we have a new sheriff in town, right? And, you know, I know it's not just your job to fix the pretrial detention problem. Everybody likes to say it's not, it, you know, it, they point to somebody else. But what role, and when I say pretrial detention, folks, I mean people sitting in jail for months and sometimes years, and not just in Hines County. We just did a story that was about another county. So what are your plans, as best you can boil them down, to play a part in decreasing the pretrial detention and to improve the various uh, problematic conditions in the Hines County Detention Center? Well, you know, like you stated, we house pretrial detainees. These are individuals that have either been indicted and they're waiting to go to trial or they are in jail, in our jail, with no bond, or they are in jail with the bond that they can't make. So we are okay. responsible for housing them. We have three detention facilities. We have the Jackson Detention Facility, which is here downtown, and it's closed right now, and it's been closed for a while. We were only housing female detainees here, but they've since been moved out to Raymond to the Work Center County Farm, and that's where they're being housed. So we also have the Work Center County Farm, which is in Raymond, as well as the Raymond Detention Center. So we also have what you call JCAs, they are juveniles charged as adults. These are your juveniles that have committed mostly, I'm sorry, well, they committed violent crimes or crimes as adults. They're charged as an adult, which means it's a violent crime, okay? They're housed at the Henley Young Youth Detention Center because we can't mix juvenile arrestees and detainees with adults arrestees and detainees. They have to be housed separately. So that's our only responsibility at the youth detention center. Everything mm -hmm. else there falls under 
the rim of the highest county administrator's office, okay? So I am the fourth elected sheriff that has had to face the issues that we're dealing with as it relates to the consent decree that we have been under for several, several years, okay? So whereas I have been employed with the highest county sheriff's office prior to being elected, I familiarized myself with components of the consent decree, whereas I was already familiar with the consent decree and somewhat familiar with the stipulated order as well. So I watched prior to being elected, I watched us move the needle with addressing the consent decree and moving things forward with the consent decree as it relates to repairs that needed to be made within our facilities, as well as attempting to move detainees out of our facility, whereas getting them prosecuted, uh, getting trials set for them, for them to be able to go to trial and let the outcome of either a plea or a guilty or not guilty verdict as well, relieve our numbers in the detention facilities. Well, I still believe that it's my responsibility to work collectively with the highest county district attorney, as well as the highest county judges to be able to fluidly move the detainees out of our system. When you move the detainees out of the system, then you are able to relieve some of the numbers that you have, which could also prevent potential problems in your detention facilities as well. But the number one issue that we are played with regarding our detention facilities is not only the conditions of the facility, but it is being able to secure employment and detention officers at our detention facilities. We are very short in detention services. Mm -hmm. We need detention officers to come and work for the highest county sheriff's office. These are ongoing conversations that we're having, ways to be able to recruit and retain detention officers. Well, we need a competitive salary to be able to do this, right? We need to be able to offer them something or to want to come and work for the highest county sheriff's office. You begin that with salaries. We need a salary increase for our detention officers. And as a matter of fact, this is a very recent conversation and ongoing efforts that I have recently proposed along with others. And just earlier this week, a major conversation has began about that. And I feel pretty comfortable and confident in the the route that we are taking regarding this. And I believe that if it's afforded to us, this will be able to allow us to hire more detention officers, get them trained, and have qualified detention officers as well. You know, we talk about the safety of the detainees in our facilities as well. Well, we can't forget about our men and women that are working within our facilities to be able to safe guard the facilities as well as the detainees. They deserve better. They deserve to have more than what they are getting. I want to be able to hire them, get them trained, and be able to retain them 
here as well. So mm -hmm. just as much as we talk about the consent decree and what we are facing with our detention facilities, I also value my employees, the men and women that come to the Hines County Sheriff's Office on a daily basis and put their lives on the line to protect the people of Hines County as well as safeguard our detention facilities and the detainees that are in our facilities as well. So these are just very important things, Donna. We can go mm -hmm. on and on talking about mm -hmm. the jail. I know we don't have much time. This can possibly be another conversation for another day. I think day. we should. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, and just talk, and maybe I might even bring somebody else on with you or something, you know, that where we could have just this really good jail conversation. The one thing I will say about this, and then the producer's telling me to, that we have to end the show, but um, it's systemic. And so I, what you, you're saying is so so right on that you need people paid enough and trained well enough to handle the conditions and, and the situations in the jail well, because right. that's, that's necessary, you know, and I firmly believe there are a lot of people in our community who want certain young, especially certain men and black men warehoused in those jails because just to keep them from committing crime and they don't want to pay you know, they with the, the community doesn't understand that we have to invest in these solutions. And one of those solutions is absolutely having having better qualified people and training and all of those things. So I couldn't I couldn't agree with that more. But it is systems. And I, I feel like that we're going through right now a situation where people are where at least the conversations are starting to move somewhere about the jail. And Coyote keeps reporting on that. So we'll bring you back, Sheriff, uh, to talk about that, to talk more about the specifics, and we'll just make it a jail show. Sheriff, thank you so much for being here. I mean, this has just been, I know it went very fast. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you know us now, so you'll right. maybe you'll come back and we'll schedule yeah. another show to talk about the jail. Because I think that's very ready. important. Yeah. We, we totally, we're, we're obsessed with these issues, as you know. And so we definitely want to do that. And Sheriff, I'm really, I am, I'm very encouraged by your comments and by your election. Um, I do wish you well, and I really do want uh, to keep this conversation going because I believe that every person in the community has to participate in crime and violence prevention in various ways. So thank you so much for informing us tonight and staying here with us a few minutes late. Right. And again, thank you all for having me, and I look forward to uh, speaking with you all again in the near future. Great. MSP Live is a production of the Mississippi Free Press, reader-supported solutions journalism for the Magnolia State. You'll find it at mfp.ms. MFP live streams most Thursdays on the MFP's Facebook and YouTube pages where you can listen live and participate in the show by commenting. The MFP Live podcast is an edited version of the live show. The hosts of MFP Live are MFP co-founders Donna Ladd and Kimberly Griffin. This episode of MFP Live was produced by Todd Stauffer. The podcast was produced by Courtney Munkew and is available on popular listening apps and platforms. Learn more at mfp.ms live.